week seven, final week of our core values that uh, are on the insert in the bulletin you received this morning. Um, we've taken a look at all of these values, and it's important for us to understand what those values are. We've talked about that a lot um, in this series, so I won't rehash that too much this morning as we have a, kind of a lot of ground to cover. And uh, I'll just kind of jump right into our last value that we're covering this morning, the value of being generous or generosity. And uh, by show of hands, how many of you would say that being generous is fun? Anybody here? Would you say that being generous is fun? You don't have to raise your hand if you don't really think that. <laughs> All right. Um, another question for you by show of hands. How many of you think that money is fun? How about raise your hands there? I, I would think that there'd be more hands for money is fun than generous. Um, and there's a connection between those two things, right? Um, being generous and money, there's somewhat of a connection between those two things. So if, if we're going to say that money is fun, then I think we can safely assume that being generous is fun as well. And uh, that's really what we're going to talk about this morning. I, I really think that as we study God's word this morning, that we're going to come to the, the reality that being a generous person um, being a generous Christian is really something that's a whole lot of fun. And uh, there's probably a lot of misconceptions about generosity um, in our culture. There's, a, I think, probably even more misconceptions when it comes to the church talking about generosity. Um, this is kind of a, you know, kind of an awkward place for uh, a pastor to stand in, uh, up in front and talk about money. Um, but just to let you know that about a quarter of the words that are recorded of Jesus have something to do with money. So Jesus actually spent quite a bit of time talking about money and its implication for our lives, um, you know, for us as individuals, but then also for the, the world around us. And so it is something that it's important for us to talk about and discuss and uh, I think some of the reasons that there's misconceptions about money or generosity when we're talking about it here at church is that when, when we hear being generous or when we hear money here at church, we start to kind of jump to a couple of things. Like, how far are we behind in the budget right now, right? If we're talking about money in church, then we must, behind, must be behind in the budget. Or if we're talking about money and being generous here at church, you know, what's, what's the next project that you guys are about to lay on the congregation? If, if that's why we're talking about money, because we need money, right? Um, I just want to let you know that generosity, as this core value that we have as a congregation, generosity really has very little to do with budgets. It has very little to do with special projects. Generosity is really a matter of the heart. And it's really, that something, it's really something that God calls each of us to, whether we're here at church or we're out in the world. Whether we're, we're funding something special or we're just using what we have to meet the needs of others. That God has called us to be people that are generous. And generosity, this is, this is why generosity is really something that's very exciting. Generosity is, you know, God really inviting us to participate in, in this revolution that he's orchestrated to impact and change the world. And, and generosity really gives us an avenue to participate with what God is doing in the world. As a congregation, generosity allows us to participate in what God is doing in the world. And as individuals, generosity, using resources and being generous with resources, allows us to participate in with God in what he is doing in the world. And so generosity is something that really is very exciting uh, when we're going to talk about it. Now, 
I get, because I live in the same world that you do, I get that our culture does not look on being generous as really being a, a high virtue, right? Something to aspire to, being generous. In fact, the, the culture that we live in, right, the culture that we live in really has the idea that I am to earn as much as I can to take care of my needs, right? And the, the more that I've earned, the more that I have, the more that I keep for myself, the better I'm able to take care of my needs, and that really is kind of the goal of the culture that we live in, right? Gain more, keep it for yourself, have a better life for yourself. That's, that's culture. And so culture's question to us is always leading us to ask ourselves, how can I get more, right? I mean, how many, how many times don't we ask ourselves that question? How can I get more? How can I get more money? How can I get more stuff? How can I get more upgrades? How can I get more new things? And that's, that's a question that I think even as Christians, we ask ourselves that question a whole lot. How can I get more? It's this very much of a consumer mentality. Now, that's culture's perspective on, on money and resources. God has a different perspective. All right? And if culture's perspective leads us to ask the question, how can I get more? Then God's perspective leads us to ask ourselves a different question. Now I'm going to let you know that this is an uncomfortable question for many of us. It, it is for me. And it's not a question that we ask ourselves very often. But from God's perspective, the question that it really leads us to ask is why do I have so much? Think about that. Why, why me? Why do I have so much? Can, can you say that out loud with me? Why do I have so much? Now, do you ask yourself that question very often? I mean, look at it. All, right? All of us probably have more stuff right now at this point in our lives than our parents did when they were at this point in their lives, right? All of us probably have way more stuff than the vast majority of the people in the world. And yet we live in a culture that's always begging us to ask the question, how can I get more? God's begging us to ask the question, why do I have so much? Why me? Why do, do I get to have all of this stuff that I got? And that really, you know, inverts this economic paradigm that we live in, the culture that we live in. And there's a, there's a really big myth uh, behind money and resources that I just want to address for a couple of minutes this morning. Because we really can't, as Christians, talk about being generous without understanding um, the, the truth behind this one myth. I would say the number one myth of money in our culture. And in order to do that, and I've done this before, but I think it's important to do it again. In order to do this, I need two volunteers to come up and help me out with something. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to, to do anything. It maybe would be helpful if it's adults this morning. Might be a little bit easier. Can I get two adults? Anyone want to help me out here? We're not going much further. Kenny, if you want to come on up here. Brad, sure, come on up here. Brad, you can stand over here. Kenny, you can stand over here for me. Um, just let you know, uh, this is my most expen expensive visual aid. 
Um, Louise says I can come home, but not without the visual aid. Okay, Brad? Um, I have here five $100 bills, all right? And Brad is going to hold on to this $500 for me. Brad is going to represent you and... <laughs> Brad is going to represent you and me um, in the world. And Kenny here is going to represent our banker or our investment planner or our money, you know, somebody that, that takes care of our money, okay? And uh, we'll just assume that Brad and Jackie here, um, they've been saving up for a while and they've gotten to the point where they've got $500 and they're now going to open an account at Kenny's bank. So why don't you go ahead, Brad, and open the account at Kenny's bank. All right, thank you. And so now um, Kenny is holding on to the money right here. And uh, let's now, Brad would never do this, so just be nice, but Brad would never do this. Let's just assume that this past week, Brad totally forgot that it was Valentine's Day. All right, Thursday came and Thursday went, and he totally forgot about it. Now he's feeling bad, and he feels that he needs to make it up to Jackie. And so rather than just, you know, going out to a nice dinner, they're going to go out to a really, really nice dinner to try and make this up, have flowers ordered and at the table ahead of time. And so Brad has to um, go back to the bank and get his $500. Now, before you do that, um, there's a, when, when we put our money into a bank, Right? There is a relationship that is created. And in legal terms, it is called a fiduciary trust relationship. What that means is that we've taken our money and we've given it to the bank for them to be, big word, responsible with it. Okay? So Brad now goes back to the bank. He gets to the bank. He gets to the teller. The teller gets, you know, deer in the headlights look. All the blood drains out of her face. She's pale, and she goes, oh, Brad, you need to go see Kenny. And so Brad goes into Kenny's office, and he gets that deer-in-the-headlights look, and all the blood rushes out of his face, and he says, I'm sorry, Brad, can you sit down? You see, see, Brad, I really, you know, we don't get paid a whole lot around here at the bank, and I, I really needed to go on a vacation, and so I spent your $500 on my vacation. I'm not saying that Kenny would ever do that, but let's just assume that he did, right? How many of you, if your bank spent your money, how many of you would take that well? We would be very upset. Why? Because they've broken that trust. They've misused what we have entrusted to their care. They've abused it, and they've spent it on themselves. Now, I'm going to change things up on you for a little bit here. And instead of you and I being represented by Brad now, I, I, Brad is going to, for us, represent God. And Kenny, rather than representing the bank, Kenny represents you and I. And what really, when we're talking about money and resources, the perspective that we need to have when it comes to that stuff is that God has entrusted to our care, the resources that we have. Let me put that a little bit more bluntly. The resources that you have, they're not yours. They're God's. The psalmist says that the earth is the Lord and everything in it. Everything belongs to God. I don't own anything. I'm a manager 
of the resources that God has entrusted to my care. So why do I have so much? The answer is not because I've worked hard, because I've saved up, because I, I was so smart with my money. That's not why I have so much. The reason I have so much and the reason that we all have so much is because God has entrusted it to us to manage it wisely. And now God invites us to participate in what he is doing in the world. All right? Thank you guys for helping me out with that. You guys can uh, return to your seats there. All right? Um, so I want to give you a definition of generosity up here on the screen that will help us kind of get our thoughts on what we're talking about. Generosity is a lifestyle, okay? It's not an obligation. Generosity is a lifestyle. It's not simply when the budget needs some funding. It's not simply when there's some special project going on at church. Generosity is a lifestyle in which we share all that we have, are, and ever will become, then really important here, as a demonstration of God's love and a response to God's grace. Generosity is a lifestyle in which we share all that we have, are, and ever will become in response to God's love and His grace. You cannot be generous without knowing and understanding the love and grace of God in our lives. And so we're going to talk about that a lot this morning, the grace of God and why that's so important. But generosity really invites us to participate in what God is doing in the world. Now, we're going to talk, we're talking a lot about money. But when we're talking about generosity, we're going to open that field up to more than just money, okay? We can throw in this whole generosity topic. We can throw in money, yes. We can throw in resources, our homes, our food, our cars. We can throw in our time. We can throw in our abilities. We can throw in our talents. We can throw in all of those things when we're talking about being generous. Because it all comes into play. Because all of it's from God. I mean, think about it. Our time here on earth, that's from God. None of us knows when that last day will be. God does. God knows how long we're going to be here. And so our time is from God as well. And so everything that we have is about using it to advance this kingdom of God, what God is up to in the world. And I would contend, you don't have to agree with me on this, but I would contend that actually money is the easiest thing for us to part with when we're talking about being generous. I think that for many of us, it's harder for us to give of ourselves, it's harder for us to give of our time, and it's easier for us to give of our money. All right, But everything's included, and Paul is going to be talking about um, money when we're talking about generosity here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is writing to this church, these Christians in Corinth, and uh, we're just going to look at the first two verses here and then stop for a second. Uh, Paul writes, and he says, And now, brothers, talking about fellow believers, and now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace... Hugely important for what we're talking about here. In fact, in these two chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, where Paul spends basically both of these chapters talking about money and being generous, he brings up the subject of grace seven times. All right? The two are so closely connected. So, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Macedonian churches um, are, are the churches of Thessalonica. 
um, Philippi and Berea, where Paul had started Christian churches. Now he's writing to the Christians in Corinth, and what he's doing, this is important, he's using these three churches as an example for the Corinthian church when understanding this whole idea of being generous. So he's using some Christians as an example to other Christians on how to be generous. It's important for us to know that. Um, Verse 2, out of the most severe trial, lots of extremes here. Out of the most severe trial, they're being persecuted for their faith. They're overflowing joy. So they don't just have joy, their joy is overflowing. They're They're overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. They weren't just poor, they were dirt poor. All of that welled up into rich generosity. They weren't just generous, they were richly generous, all right? So all of these extremes. Paul's not trying to exaggerate. Paul's just telling it like it is. They were going through trials, severe trials for their faith. And they had great joy. They were dirt poor. They had nothing. And yet they were generous with what they did have. And right there... It's already starting to teach us that generosity is not about amounts of money. Right? If you're dirt poor, can you be generous? You can. Generosity is not gauged in how big of a sum, but in how much you give. All right? So, um, but he's talking about this whole idea of, of extremely generous, this group of churches. And he says, again, that the basis for this, the motivation behind this willingness to give is the grace of God. Now, I know we talk about the grace of God a lot around here, and that's a good thing. But part of the danger in talking about the grace of God on on a really regular basis is that it can kind of lose its impact on us. And in fact, you know, sometimes we can look at the grace of God in kind of one of two ways uh, when we don't really fully understand what the grace of God is. One way is that we look at the grace of God as something that is in our past, something that saved us, right? We were saved by the grace of God. Does it matter a whole lot today? Well, yeah, but it really mattered when I was made a Christian, when I became a Christian, and the grace of God saved me, all right? And it's not that big of a deal anymore. That's, that's one way for us to look at the grace of God. Another way for us to look at the grace of God is that, you know, it's just kind of there, and it just has to do with, you know, kind of we talk about it in church, right? We come to church on Sunday morning, and then we talk about the grace of God, and then we go out, and the grace of God, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's kind of like there when we need it. It's kind of like, you know, that God's like our Heavenly Father and we we fell off our bike and we skinned up our knee and now we need some grace of God. We need God to take us in the bathroom, put us up on the counter, get out a washcloth and some Neosporin and put a Band-Aid on our knee. Right? Or, you know, when we fall on hard times, we need God, we need the grace of God in our lives then. It's like God, you know, we're standing on the street corner with our sign and God drives by and he rolls down the window and he hands out a Happy Meal and a couple of bucks and then he's on his way. Right? No, the grace of God is much bigger than that. The grace of God impacts every aspect of our lives every single day. The grace of God needs to be woven into the fabric of our very lives. And I want to give you another illustration to kind of demonstrate that. Um, Because the grace of God, it's just so big. It's just such great news. But that good news of the grace of God, it's only as good as the bad news is bad. 
right? And the bad news that the Bible has to share with us is really bad. Um, four things about the bad news that the Bible has to share with us. The first thing is that no one's perfect. All right, I don't know if anybody walked in here this morning thinking that they were perfect, but I, you know, nobody's perfect, right? Um, we might come in on different degrees on where we think we are um, as less than perfect. Like some of us might think we're just below perfect, and some of us might think we're further away from perfect. But all of us, Bible says that we are imperfect, all right? Second thing, because we are imperfect, that means that we are separated from God. In fact, the Bible says it's even stronger than that. It says that because of sin, that we are actually enemies of God, all right? So that we are separated from God. We are enemies of God because of sin, because we are not perfect, all right? Third thing the Bible says about us and because of sin is that we are dead, all right? Spiritually dead. Sin doesn't just make us bad people. Sin makes us dead. What can a dead person do? Nothing, all right? So we are dead to God because of sin, and we can do nothing about it. And that's the fourth thing, that we can't make ourselves alive. I mean, you think about physically, did you have anything to do with making yourself alive? No. It's not like one day you were sitting there and you thought to yourself, you know what, I really want to be born. I really want to be. Mom and dad, can you do something about that? No, we, we had nothing to do with it. Same is true spiritually. We have nothing to do with us being made alive. That's where the grace of God comes into our lives. Now, just want to demonstrate this quickly for you. Um, by show of hands, all right, everybody can participate in this again. By show of hands, who of you here today thinks that if you were to back up to the wall back here and you were to get a running start, that if you jumped from this step up here, you could make it to the front row of seats here in church? Who here thinks that they could do that? Oh, come on, this is not a very optimistic group. You could fall off the front step and make it to the front row. All right. Everyone here today can make it to the front row, all right? Um, so how about, how about to the second row? Who here thinks, show of hands, that they could jump from this front step and make it to the second row? Anybody? See a couple of hands here this morning. How about the third row? Anybody? Anybody think that they can make it to the third row? Anybody think that someone in the United States can make it to that third row? They could jump from here and make it to the third row? Okay. Um, so, okay, quickly review by show of hands. Um, who thinks that they can make it to the front row? Everybody can raise their hands. How about to the second row? Put down hands. Third row? Anybody? Third row? Fourth row? Okay. How many of you think that you could jump from here, right here, to Austin, Texas, not Minnesota? No one, right? It, you know what just happened there? We went from the realm of possible, we went from the realm of, well, maybe, to the realm of that's ridiculous and that's absurd, right? No one can jump from here to Austin, Texas. Sometimes when we're talking about the grace of God, we make it look at, you know, we try to minimize it and we think, well, I could, I could make it that far and I just need a little bit of the grace of God to get me to the third row and then I'm good. No. It's like jumping from here to Texas. It's not possible. There's no chance. And when we were left in that situation with the prospect of jumping from here to Austin, Texas, the grace of God came into our lives. 
When we were completely lost, completely separated, completely apart from God, Jesus came into our world. The grace of God saved us. And it now impacts every single aspect of our lives. It's just woven into the fabric of who we are. Including this whole idea of being generous. Paul, as he's talking about generosity here in 2 Corinthians, you cannot get away from the idea of being generous and the grace of God. The two go hand in hand. And when we understand that we are just managers of the resources that God has given us, that right there is the grace of God. Right? Why do we have so much? Why do I have so much? That's the grace of God. That's the goodness of God in our lives, right there. And we are just managers of the resources that God has entrusted to our care. And in order to be generous, we need to be mindful of the grace of God in our lives. All right, going on, verse 3, Paul continues and he says, For I testify that they, these Christians in Macedonia, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. All right? So, again, they're poor, but they're still given more than anybody would have ever expected. They did this, going on, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Think about that. They did it entirely on their own. They're dirt poor. They've got nothing. They're going through severe trial. Nobody had to go there and tell them, hey, you know what? You should really help these other Christians. They just saw it as a response to the need that was out there. So entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded. When's the last time you urgently pleaded? Probably when you needed a hand. Probably when you needed something. Here, they are urgently pleading to participate in what God is up to in the world and to give away some of their stuff, all right? So they urgently pleaded um, with us the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. All right? they're, they're doing, their generosity is going to benefit a budget? No. A special project? No. Their generosity is going to benefit the saints. They're going to benefit other people. There's a need that people have, and they are being generous to meet the need of those people. All right? Verse 5, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. They're following Jesus' command. You know, love God and love your neighbor. They're loving God first in that they're using the resources that they have. They're loving their neighbor in that they're generously sharing what they have to meet the needs of the people around them. Verse 6, so we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Being generous, Paul says, is an act or an activity of grace. The grace of God gets poured into our lives. Is that where it should stop? The grace of God is poured into our church. Is that where it should stop? Well, Paul is saying here, as he's holding up these Christians as an example, he's saying, look, the grace of God was poured out into their lives, and then they actively poured it out on others. 
this act of grace. They put it into action. All right? Um, going on, verse 7, he says, But just as you excel in everything, all right? You're doing a good job, he's saying, in faith. We would, who would question that? Right? God, of course God wants us to be doing good when it comes to our faith, excelling in our faith. How about this one? In speech, in encouraging others, right? In sharing the news of God. Who would argue that that's not a good thing? Who would throw up any, you know, resistance against that? You're also excelling in knowledge, right? You're learning. You're excelling in complete earnestness and in love for us, right? Those are all great things. We talk about those things all the time. How does he finish this sentence? He says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. You know what Paul just did? Things that that we talk about in church all the time. Faith, love, encouragement, being kind to one another. And we don't have any problems with any of those. And then Paul also throws into that same camp, he says, this grace of giving. He says... This is something that we should try to excel in. This is something that we get to be a part of. This is a good thing for us in our faith. Verse 8, he says, I'm not commanding you. I'm not commanding you either. Giving, being generous, is not something you command. It's an attitude of the heart. It's a response to the grace of God in our lives. So it's not something you command. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You know who's the most generous person you know? The most generous person I know? It's Jesus. When you have everything, and you choose to give it up to become a human being, When you have everything and you choose to live here on earth with next to nothing. When you have everything and you don't need anything and you give your life away for sinful people. That's generosity. And while we were poor, we've now been made rich. Rich in forgiveness, rich in eternal life, rich in the brand new life that we have today. Alright? Verse 10. And here is my advice, some practical things about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to to what he does not have. So what... Paul is talking about there is he's talking about proportionate giving. Nobody can tell you how much you should give. Nobody should tell you to give. It's not an obligation. But nobody can tell you how much to give. Because it's, it's a matter of the heart. It's an attitude of the heart to look at what God has blessed me with. Now, how can I wisely manage that for my family, for my life, and yes, for the advancement of what God is doing in the world? So God says to be, look at all of that and consider all of that. That's what generosity is all about. It's a lifestyle, not an obligation. It's a lifestyle to use what God has blessed us with, entrusted to our care, to be a blessing to the people around us. So the question is not, 
How can I get more? The question really for all of us to consider is why do I have so much? And when we come back at it from God's perspective, it enables us to be generous with what God has blessed us with. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I'll be the first to admit that living a generous life is not easy, especially considering the culture that we live in. Greed is truly one of the great idols of our culture. We have so much, yet it is so hard for us to open up our hands and to be generous to you and to the people around us. Lord, change our hearts, open our hands, make us generous people that we can, that we can generously give simply out of love for you. Jesus, you sacrificed everything to give us everything. May we honor you by managing well what you have blessed us with. Father, we also ask that you would be with the Polfleet family as you took Pat's mom to be home with you in heaven this past week. Thank you for the faith you worked in her heart. Thank you for the blessing that she was to her family and friends. May your presence and your peace be with them as they mourn her passing and fill them with joy and anticipation knowing that they will see her again someday. We also join together in the prayer you have taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. At this time, 